What up, Rail Split Nash? We are back from our summer vacation to bring you a little episode about the man known as John Hay, Lincoln Secretary's Part 2. What's up, everybody? This is your favorite rail splitter, Nick. Uh, hopefully everything's going well. We've missed you. We've taken three weeks off. Summer got crazy. We got busy. Computers got broken. <laughs> um, my teaching schedule got changed. Uh, as far as when we start, I guess my actual teaching schedule did get changed as well. Um, but we are back. We're here to bring you some new content. So, we're, we're excited. So all of you waiting to get your COVID test results, listening to us, we're excited that we can help you pass that time. With me, we have Rail Splitter, Jeremy. What's happening, man? Hey, hey. Good to be back. Sorry about the little uh, little hiatus, but uh, we're back with a vengeance. Hey. You get, you get hey. a new haircut there? Hey. I was just going to say. Keep Where's your hey. beard? <laughs> yeah, we got, we're close enough to the school year where I cut my hair and mm. I shaved. Oh, so yeah, man. it's uh you know yeah stuff's getting real. Um, yeah, I heard you wore a uh, whole suit the other day. Oh, it's four coat on. Oh, look at you! Yeah, that that's a whole suit. Have you seen how I dress? I um, <laughs> I wore a flannel with a hole in my elbow today. <laughs> True story. And socks and sandals because why, that's why'd you wear you, why'd you wear your dress flannel? <laughs> Dude, I'm getting scrubs. We can talk about that later time though. Wow, you're like practically Canadian with that flannel there, uh, Nick. Dude, I wear it's part of my uh, image now. So. Yeah, you're totally a Canadian. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awkward when he's out there cutting down trees, but hey, what are you gonna do? Like, hey, hey, we need those trees. They provide uh, I provided the trees in ba- in the background of Bernie's speech the other night. Um, <laughs> and with us, of course, you heard her voice already. Um, the infamous rail splitter, Mary. <laughs> hey, rail split Nash, what's happening? All right. Good to see you back, Blue Check Mary. Um, <laughs> Blue Check. Not yet, because, but here, when you could be the lucky person that pushes her to the Blue Check, follow her on Twitter. <laughs> um, but more importantly, follow us on Twitter. Yes. At RailSplitter, blah, 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 blah. Yes, we've gotten um, some new followers recently, actually, too. So, um, yeah, let's get the show off and running here. Um,. What you all been up to? What, what's the deal? What's happening in Lincolnia? Well, today, I think it was today or yesterday, in today's newspaper anyway, there was a story, just to follow up, actually, on, it might have even been the last one, it's been a while, but the, the we had talked a little bit about during the monument um, discussion that the state of Illinois began a push to remove Stephen A. Douglas uh, from the grounds of the state capitol in Springfield, and they just decided that that was going to take place. So there's a prominently placed statue of the Little Giants that is going to be taken down and replaced with the existing statue of Martin Luther King, which is directly across the street, which is obviously very cool, but I would have preferred, well, I think a 
uh, eventually there'll, there'll, there'll be an Obama there. I don't know if it's awkward to have a big Obama statue when, you know, the man is still doing quite well and kicked some ass last night. Um, but the, the King statue is, is considerably smaller than ironically, considerably smaller than Stephen A. Douglas one. So, um, I'm glad it's on the grounds. It should be on the grounds. It's, it's a nice statue, but it's, it's just not the rest of the statues on the grounds are far bigger. Um, they're, I don't want to say nicer looking, but, um, the, the King one's kind of like a concrete, um, s- sculpture and the other ones, I don't know what metal it is, but the metal that monuments are made of. Uh, but anyway, I'm very happy that the state took down Douglas and I think they, they took down, um, one other statue of someone who I believe was uh, enslaved people. Menard, is that the one? I don't know. But I'll I don't know either. Um, but anyway, so Stephen A. Douglas coming down. Uh, I don't know about the painting in the um, chamber of the General Assembly, but um, that should be replaced by Barack Obama sometime soon. Yeah. So are they allowing people to throw a to topple it down or are they removing it themselves? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, and that it is an interesting debate not to go down that road again, but, um, the whole, the Confederate monuments were monuments specifically for the sole purpose of honoring the fight to enslave and, you know, the, the cause of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the Jefferson Monument, you know, I think somebody put it well who said monuments to Jefferson and Washington and folks like that um, honor them in spite of their flaws, whereas the Confederate monuments honor them because of their flaws. Um, now, to, to, to call enslavement a flaw <laughs> or a character flaw, I think, is a little bit, um, you know, it doesn't it puts it too lightly, but I do think that you know, the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Memorial do have their place because, you know, it doesn't, it's not celebrating them enslaving people. It's still celebrating them that along with everything else that they were. So, uh, and then Pierre uh, Menard is the other statue on the Illinois State Capitol grounds who is being taken down because he was an enslaver himself. So anyway, um, so it'll be good to see the big little statue come down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the painting is soon to follow. Yeah, there's been, I know since we had that episode, there's been uh, more than besides those two as well, a handful of others across yep. the nation, as yep. I'm sure we'll continue to see. So, yep. um, correct so, and, Yeah, and that's but, a good question for, for Real Split Nation and US too. Like, does, does Stephen Douglas fall in that category or not? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, I mean, so much of his identity, historically anyway, um, was based on popular sovereignty and, you know, um, perpetuating or trying to perpetuate enslavement. So I, I don't think he should be looked at as one of those whose monuments are in spite of his flaws. I think they're largely because of them or um, at least more so than, than like a Jefferson or a Washington. Yep. Um, if you want to hear us dive more into it, check one of our more recent episodes mm-hmm. about uh, Confederate monuments. So, which is very well not, received. Yeah. So, if you have not listened to that, make sure um, you um, go back and definitely listen to it. 
Mary, you got a new endeavor on your plate, I know. Why don't you tell the Rail Split Nation will probably be interested in this? I do. So um, with my friend Darren, who he was a guest for 54th Massachusetts episode, he and I have started a Civil War podcast called Civil War Breakfast Club. So we were doing like deep dives about the Civil War, but we're also going to do some quirky pop culture topics as well. Like, you know, talk about, I mean, obviously our name comes from the movie Breakfast Club. So we're going to do an episode about that, about which Civil War figures we think apply to each of the characters and all that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's a real like... (laughs) If I'm if I'm distracted for this entire episode, it's because I'm running that very premise. Yeah, yeah. Just like think about that. Like it's, and we're not going to tell each other what characters we're we're picking. Um, but yeah, but I mean, we're going to look at like battles and all that. But then we're going to also look at different generals that maybe don't look don't get looked at as much. Um, and we're just about basically telling telling the stories. Um, you know, just. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. So, um, and we do hope to do some crossover stuff with Real Splitter as well. Yeah, whenever you see that we drop the same uh, episode title, it just means we just reuse Mary's notes. Yeah, the Real Splitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited yeah. to be- check. I'm excited to check out the new show. Yeah. Um, Nick, you've taken my. Of the people by the people submission because oh. I'm just going to bring bring that up. But oh. we'll talk about that. I mean, this is obviously it should it should be at the top of the show. So yeah, I, and, I guess you could say we're you know sibling podcasts. Yes, so yeah, no, cool. that's I mean because we, I mean the one thing that we're all into, I mean, is obviously Abraham Lincoln, but we do want to talk about the assassination as well. So that's definitely like an area of collaboration. Mm. Right there. Um, do you have a? Do you know what date you're dropping the first episode? This Saturday. Sure? This Saturday. Yep. If Ooh. I can get it, ed- if I'm editing it tomorrow morning because I'm off. So, and this is me. This is like it's it's my call it my baby. <laughs> I'm doing the editing of it as well in Audacity on my MacBook. I want it to learn how to edit podcasts, so this is how I'm learning to do it. All right. So yeah, it's um, it's kind check of check it like, out. Kind of like, so, so we you'll, you'll be guaranteed to have better sound quality for your initial first few episodes than than we had. No, because I recorded it on my MacBook. I don't mm-hmm. know. How we we stumbled go. a little coming out of the gate. So yeah, I had to I had to tell Darren. I'm like, you know, our first few episodes, sound quality and editing might not be might not be the best because it's a complete learning curve. But uh, yeah, we recorded the first episode on Tuesday night, and it was basically just I, the premise of the show is like so Civil War Breakfast Club. Um, Basically, it's two Civil War geeks talking in a bar on a Friday night, and then you wake up Saturday morning and listen to it. Oh, nice. That's Yeah, I noticed the Saturday morning connection, too, at the Breakfast Club. Yeah, but it's basically because we're drinking beer during it. So we just say it's like two Civil War geeks in a bar. That's how our, that's how we started out. That's yeah. where some of the shows went off the rail when I drank too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the podcast was actually born out of like um, one afternoon. I think it was well, it was over beers, just like Rail Splitter, and then the name was a struggle, and that was over beers about a week and a half ago that we finally got the name, and then we're like, okay, now we can move forward with this. All right, that's exciting. Yeah, thank you. 
The only so, thing yeah. you must do, Rail Split Nation, is listen to our show, then listen to Mary's show. <laughs> just, rate us before you rate that show. <laughs> um, no, I'm just joking. Yeah, one thing I seriously appreciate your support in this. I did not say anything publicly about it until I told you to, because I'm like, I have to have their support before I go ahead with this. No, it's great. Exciting. Thank you. And we had a nice little group chat too, which we're super excited. And, you know, I kind of like the, the, you know, I I think the podcast world in general is not a competitive group. Like the podcast I listen to, like I listen to a couple of Cubs podcasts and they always promote other Cubs podcasts. It's, you know, it's a nice community. Um, that said, I think that we'll share listeners more than we would, you know, have somebody choose between, between the two of us to listen to on their commute or whatever. Um, but I do think this is, this is a good opportunity to where um, we'll still have civil war episodes, but, but probably not maybe as specifically as um, we have just because, um, you know, we can focus a little bit more on Lincoln now that, now that we've got a sibling podcast and in, in yeah. the, under the in the rail split fam, the breakfast club fam that uh, yeah, it'll cover more specific civil war stuff. So, yeah, it's a definite cool. it's a definite sibling podcast. It's a definite civil war deep dive that we're we're doing with it. Like, I mean, we want to look at a battle like Chickamauga and look specifically at like Claiborne's night fight that he did. And spend like that, that, is, that is a high level, of very specific, you know, like for, for we're covering the Battle of South Mountain in a few weeks, and we're probably going to focus mostly on the Iron Brigade because that's where they got their name is at oh, the Battle cool. of South Mountain. And plus, Antietam yeah. is all that ever gets talked about. So we thought, let's talk about South Mountain. Let's and do that. You're, a, you're, you're doing a great job teasing a few episodes, I like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so make sure you go um, and subscribe to that so you don't miss, the, you know, any of the episodes. Make sure to rate it, too, so they can get up there on that list. And, you know, maybe rate us as well while you're at it. Yes, rate, rate us. We got a show to do here. We, we've got into a lot of banter there, good banter. We're back. It took us a little bit to warm up. We are going, this is going to be actually part two of our Lincoln Secretary episodes uh we originally did part one on john nicolay um i don't know a couple months back so probably within the last 10 episodes so if you want to listen to that beforehand put this on pause go back do that now um for this episode uh mary did the research on good old john hay so we're going to dive into john hay keep in mind you know hay and uh Nicolay, they had, you know, I don't know. I mean, outside of Mary Lincoln, they probably had the most access to Lincoln while he was in the White House on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So um, they saw it with their own eyes, and um, they preserved a lot of that stuff, too. Um, actually put together a book. So let's dive into it, Mary. Why don't, why don't you – I'll turn the mic over to you. All right. So John Hay is the younger of the two secretaries. He's born um, in 1838 in Salem, Indiana, um, and he's the son of Charles Hay, who's a doctor, and Helen Leonard, and they've got six children, and they are abolitionists. So he moves to Warsaw, Illinois with his family when he's three years old, and he said that the days of my boyhood were passed on the banks of the Mississippi, and the Great River was the scene of my early days. The boys of my day led an amphibian life, and near its waters in the summertime and the winters its dazzling ice bridge of incomparable beauty and purity was our favorite playground. So it sounds like he had a pretty cool place to grow up. 
Um, he also remarks that they would build forts and call them the Alamo. We sang rude songs of the canebrake and cornfield and the happiest days of the year to us who dwelt on the northern bluff of the river were those that brought us in the loud puffing and whistling steamers of olden time to the mecca of our rural fancies, the bright and busy metropolis of St. Louis. Um, and at a young age, uh, Hay is going to learn to speak German and he had quite an aptitude for the language. Um, in 1849, he moves to Pittsfield, Illinois to attend school, and this is where he meets John Nicolay, who is actually six years older to, than him, but they have quite a bond and quite a friendship for the rest of their lives. And it's actually Nicolay that will, he's going to pass away before John, or for, for, before John Hay. In 1852, Hay moves to Springfield, Illinois, where he lives with his grandfather, and he studies at Illinois State University where he studies Latin, Greek, algebra, and rhetoric. He loved poetry, though, and um, Zeitz, in his book about Hay and Nicolay, which is called Lincoln's Boys, which was um, the primary, like, it was, I think, Nick, you used that for Nicolay, right, To Joshua Zeitz's book? Yes, I did. Lincoln's it's a great read, excellent read. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, it's just well-written and really dives into both of their lives um, and definitely gives you some great background on them yeah no it's an it's an excellent book um and that it's when hay is studying at spring university of springfield um zeit says that his heart was never in it more than when he read milton byron Moore and burns and he almost worshipped them and he also wrote the odes of horace which hay described as being beautiful so hay is very into literature and reading as well um which as we know lincoln was too so in 1855, he attends Brown University as a sophomore, and he does this with the backing of his uncle. Hay was actually quite the fashionista of his time. So if you think of John Nicolay, who I don't think would be would be considered a fashionista, John Hay is. Um, one of his friends commented, he was for those days elegantly dressed, better than any of us, so neatly indeed that he would have been set down as a dude at first sight. <laughs> So when I heard the word dude, you know exactly what I thought of. <laughs> Big, Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Yeah, <laughs> the dude. <laughs> one of the best movies of all time. So John Hayes kind of like me in fashion and John Nicolay is kind of like Boyce in fashion. Yes. Would that be accurate? Actually, it sounds like the complete flip flop. It so. sounds like the other way around. Yeah. 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 yeah I was Okay. I was, yeah, I got my <laughs> Oh, sorry, I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, but regarding his study habits, Hay was one of those people that could, like, you know, literally the night before a final paper is due, crank it out. Whereas someone like me, I had to be working on it three months before. Um, so it was of the general opinion that Hay put his book under his pillow and had the contents thereof absorbed and digested by morning. For he was never seen digging or doing any other act or thing that could be constructed as hard study. So that's crazy. I could see you writing a paper three months before it's due because these notes were started last year. They were. Um, <laughs> that sounds about Full right. Full disclosure, I'm the most detailed rail splitter when it comes to notes. Like, I do overkill on it. Uh, I definitely think uh, Boyce would agree with me. We are more of the last second scramble. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, yes, sir. I, for My whatever for whatever reason, I had to uh, like 
start everything like three months before because it took me that much longer. Whereas my brother was like the night before he'd have like a term paper due and he'd crank it out and he'd get an A. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and Hay was also a bit of a flirt with the ladies too. Um, so by 1858, he's received his Bachelor of Arts degree. And he's not happy, as most people would be at his age, to be living with his parents again. So he goes into legal studies, which he's guided into by his uncle Milton. And it's in preparation for a clerkship at his uncle's office. But John had no interest in the profession at all. And he, when he wrote to his one friend, Hannah, I alternate between weeks of sickness and months of my normal condition of chronic worthlessness. How it will end does not seem difficult to say. The only question is of time. Um, and his uncle's law office was directly in the center of Springfield and close by the law office of, guess who? Uh, Billy Herndon? Yes. And? <laughs> Abe Lincoln. <laughs> so Hay most likely would have met Lincoln at this time. Um, and he said of it, he came into the law office where I was reading with a copy of Harper's Magazine in hand containing Senator Douglas's famous article on popular sovereignty. Lincoln seemed greatly roused by what he had read. Entering the office without salutation, he said, this will never do. He puts the moral element out of question. It won't stay out. So that is Hayes' introduction right there to Abraham Lincoln. It's a cool visual. Yeah. Like you just sit there and you see this guy, you know, Lincoln being... You know, six foot six, lanky dude, <laughs> coming in. Six foot six. He was six foot six, right? No, six four. Six foot four. He was six four? He's six Why four. Why did I pick six six? I've got Michael Jordan on That's how tall Andrew Miller is. Who's Andrew Miller? He used to pitch for the Indians. Hey, did you watch no, that no, Indian Cup series? Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. I almost congratulated us for not talking any trash during that Cup sweep. But, you know, but uh, What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Okay. Six four. Abraham Lincoln. Jeez. God. <laughs> We're just rousing. One mistake. We're just rousing you, Nicholas. <laughs> I was measuring him from his hat. With his hat, yes. In my defense, his hat would have made him like six eight. His, his actual hat. Yeah. Yeah. His oh burn. Um. Yeah, we'll stay out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, right now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> okay. Um, so during the 1860 presidential campaign, Hay would assist Nicolay in the huge amounts of correspondence that there was, and he worked full time for six months for Lincoln. And it was actually Nicolay who was going to advocate for Hay to come to Washington to help him with the large amounts of correspondence. And Nicolay, like Lincoln said, we can't take all of Illinois down with us to Washington. And I think it was Hay's uncle that paid for part of his salary for the first little while because Nicolay was so insistent on having him there. So Hay's uncle had to pay for the salary for a little while. And then finally Lincoln just got on board with having a second secretary because he realized he needed one. Um, so the stories are so different to how they got to this job. You know, Nicolay's oh, like yeah. busting his ass, working hard, you know, climbing that ladder. And then, not you know, and then Hayes just kind of, these opportunities just kind of keep coming across. He kind of almost falls ass backwards in a lot of this stuff, I feel. So um, definitely see kind of a little difference in their backstories to how they got to where they were. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and so then as Lincoln's secretary, so he's with Lincoln on his inaugural journey, which must have been amazing. And Lincoln would call him John, which I'm assuming he must have called Nick Nicolay. Is there music playing in the background somewhere? I think, is that your clock at home, boys? It is. I just muted myself. Sorry. It's, it's, yeah, it's, that's quite the grandfather <laughs> clock there. Yeah, it's it's a kitchen clock. It hasn't had batteries in it for probably 10 years. Um, but we just took it off the wall because we painted in here. And so we put batteries in it. And now it annoys me with its chimes. Okay, I'm just going to back And now, and now you. <laughs> no, I was like, I liked music. it. It was cool, but I'm like, is that an alarm? And is it going to go on for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. No, no, don't worry about it. it um, is, it's nine o'clock here in Illinois. Yeah, in case you're okay. wondering. I will backtrack here. I actually, uh, you might want to adjust that time. It's four minutes fast. So. I know it's a family thing. It's you know, broken clocks, whatever. Anyway, okay, my in-laws so. have a broken wooden clock in their kitchen, so they got us a wooden clock. It's oh, okay. it's a thing. Anyway. Okay, so I'm just noting the time here. I think this should 20. be kept in. I like this. You like it? You want it kept in? Especially right now. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. We'll keep it in. I, right. won't, I, won't say I think we should add some awkward long pauses too. <laughs> like like edit in pauses. Oh, that would be awesome too. That, that's how you go. That's a uh, little note for your new podcast. That's yeah. how you get two star reviews. Yeah, yeah, like awkward <laughs> pauses. Yeah. Hey, hey, that's our topic for today. So I'm just going to hey. keep saying that. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, Nicolay and Hay will share a bedroom at the White House, um, and it's been commented that while well, Nicolay was the more serious of the two, which I'm pretty sure was made clear in in our episode about Nicolay, uh, Hay um, was the one with the sense of humor. And while well, Nicolay would tend to assist Lincoln in his office and in meetings, Hay would deal with the correspondence that he had. And um, during this time, um, Hay and Nicolay would usually eat meals at the Willard Hotel, which is nice. And he would also go to the theater with Lincoln and Mary, which is surprising because neither Nicolay or Hay liked Mary. And they would refer to her as the Hellcat. You could have worse nicknames. Yeah. Hellcat, though. Um, And Hay is going to be at Lincoln's bedside when he passes away. And for Hay, this is not going to be the only president that he witnesses pass away or assassinated. Mm Mm-hmm. There's going to be a few more in his life that that happens with. Um, but Hay is with Lincoln for some pretty important events, including the Gettysburg Address, where they go with him, and then he and Nicolay get drunk the night before. And uh, Also known as shit-faced. Yes, shit-faced. <laughs> they get very shit-faced the night before the Gettysburg Address. I believe that is a term from that period. Shit-faced. <laughs> really? <laughs> Etymology? Uh, okay. Don't quote me on that, but about 15% sure. I've learned another new term from that time was like, if something was really bad, it was, well, it was in, so I was listening, this is a digression. Battle of Gettysburg podcast, their episode about the 11th Corps, the Army of the Potomac. Some guy wrote that one of the first, um, like, first campaigns they were on was a crap trip. So crap I've been trying to cr- a crap trip. So I've been trying to drop crap trip into everyday language. 
diarrhea was called the Virginia Shuffles, the Tennessee Trash. <laughs> he wasn't when, talking when about that. It. He was literally talking that the campaign was a very bad time. No, I know. It just reminded me of that. <laughs> It's a crap trip. Um, when you got a shit bad, you got a Tennessee <laughs> trot your way to the woods. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this past five minutes has been dedicated to our 10-year-old listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. I don't know if we have any because we're a rated explicit podcast. Um, Now be nice to your parents and go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, yes, so they're in Gettysburg together, and I believe it is Nicolay that's got to get up in the morning and help Lincoln with his speech, and Hay gets to sleep off the the whiskey-induced hangover that I'm sure he has, which would be, can't even imagine how bad that would be. What a great story they get to tell, like especially oh, like yeah. when the Gettysburg becomes more famous that later in their lives. Yeah, like, I was like, there. Yeah, I was there, man, and I was just hungover. We just like <laughs> were out all night. Like, <laughs> I think it's just like a cool visual of those guys. Just well, their story hang. of being out all night. Like they yeah. met up with that one guy, and apparently they were like singing and dancing one time. It's like four in the yeah. morning, and then they decide like, oh, we got to get up in the morning with the tycoon. We better yeah. go back to the hotel. Be like if they ever did a movie like on the Gettysburg Address, be like a cool scene. I think that would be, that would be amazing. So, do you guys have anything to add about his time as secretary? No, I, I just you know it's I like how we tried at least to to, to paint a contrast because like everything you not everything many many things you read and see it's like Nick like it's just like a Nickel and Hay like they're just like this like you know this monolith or something where like they're just kind of lumped together and they did have very distinct personalities, which probably made them effective, um, in, in doing their work. Um, and I, 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 one of the things I really like about the two of them are, are that they were so good at what they did and so talented. Um, and, and I, you know, and I think we, I mentioned this in the Nicolay episode where, you know, you could compare them to like a David Axelrod mm-hmm. for um, President Obama, you know, where, you know, he's a political genius and kind of orchestrated a major grassroots political movement and then, you know, helped out a ton. I don't know if he was actually chief of staff, but works, you know, mm-hmm. major, major, you know, important figure in the presidency. And now, of course, that's that's a thing. And it has been for many, many presidencies where, you know, that staff is so important. Well, Lincoln, you know. I think the term secretary kind of makes them sound like paper, paper shufflers and errand boys or whatever, which they, they were in some regards. But um, I think it's cool that they were actually advisors, confidants, um, you know, surrogate sons in many ways. But also, like, they were so talented, but it's not as if there was, like, because now it's, like, the, the best and brightest of of the entire young wings of parties be take these positions um you know they're, they're all ivy league graduates and whatever else but these are two guys from not far from abraham lincoln you know mm-hmm. south central illinois you know midwest um small town kind of guys and um you know lincoln saw the talent in them and believed in them and needed them and you know relied on them and you know they were there the whole time you, you know never never really went away from them i mean you know and, and they started into the second term. There's no reason to think they wouldn't have finished it. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's cool. I like that they were kind of, you know, 
they just happened into the job in many ways um, and ended up being very good at it. Yeah, no, they did. And I, I watched the, I watched Lincoln last week um, with one of my friends and I uh, was really watching Nicolay and Hay, especially Hay closely in the movie. But just that one scene that always sticks out is where, where Lincoln goes and wakes him up and it's Hay he wakes up and he's like hitting him on the leg and then Nikolay kind of stirs in the background. He's like, don't let him pardon anybody else. <laughs> and he falls back asleep again. But Hay asks him, do you want any company? And Lincoln says, no, I'm best left alone at these times or something to that effect. Um, but just the fact that like Lincoln felt comfortable enough with them, you know, and that's very much a father-son thing too, I think, just to go mm-hmm. into, you know, your son's room and want to talk about something, talk something out. It shows like the trust that he had in them. And I think that's conveyed really well in the movie. Um, and then just further to your point, Jeremy, about, you know, how like, it's always like neat, like Nicolay and Hay lumped together. They were two totally different people. They were like yin and yang, you know, Nicolay's very serious. Hay's very much joking around. Um, you know, Nicolay, I think had a very steady girlfriend during during the White House years, Hay was a bit more of a, a flirt. Hey! Hey! A bit more of a flirt. He was the more flirtier of the two. But they were best friends. They worked so well together. And I think they filled in those pieces that made them like this, kind of like this one functioning element that Lincoln needed in his presidency. I just think how remarkable how young they were. I mean. Oh, yeah. The twenty late twenties for Hay Nicolay, uh, early thirties. I mean, yeah. Um, and they got an extremely important role, you know, mm-hmm. being right there, and and I think they're just perfect complements for each other. I, I know I like to use sports analogy. I mean, it's like the Jordan Pippen type thing almost, where they're two superstars in their realm of what they do, um, kind of coming in their own too. And as we're going to hear here in a second, you know, Hay will use this and springboard to create his own legacy. Um, and he just, and they both did more than just necessarily ride the coattails of Lincoln too. So yeah, especially in Hay's case. Yeah. Hay, mm-hmm. Hay is definitely, um, he's more in the spotlight you could say than what Nicolay is not to downplay, you know, anything that Nicolay did. I think Nicolay was just as intelligent, just as awesome as a person as what Hay was, but Hay, Hay stayed more in the spotlight, and maybe that was more his personality. I think Hay was the more extroverted of the two. Nicolay was definitely the the introvert. I think Nicolay, um, he like Hay comes in there with not much of a backstory as mm-hmm. far as politics. Yeah. Whereas Nicolay, you know, he's right on the forefront of the Republican Party forming within the state of Illinois. Yeah. Um, so he kind of has his own legacy outside of Lincoln there. Um, whereas Hayes definitely is on the back end of um his time after you know lincoln passes so mary why don't you transition us into hayes post lincoln legacy all right so hay has an early diplomatic career um he goes from paris from the end of june 1865 to january 1867 which is what lincoln had planned for him um and then in June of 1867, after being back in the U.S. for a while, he goes back to Europe where he's a temporary secretary um, just to deal with relations between the U.S. and Europe. Um, but then in 1870, he gets a job with the New York Tribune under Horace Greeley and Whitelaw Reed. And it's here he's going to make $50 a week. 
but that eventually gets upped to $100 a week. His primary responsibility is writing editorials, mainly on diplomatic affairs, which Hay is very well versed in, having spent, um, by this point, five years in Europe, minus the time that he was back in the U.S. for a few months. Um, so Reed ends up raising Hay's salary after a few weeks um, to $65, and then a year later, he's making $100. Um, so Reed um, said of Hay in journalism, I have seen now enough of your capacity in sudden emergencies and a wide scope to be ready to repeat the assurance which I gave you at the beginning that journalism is sure to prove you tr your true field. So Hay was a very gifted writer. Um, and he will go to Chicago right after the Great Fire in 1871 to cover that. And he would often, like, he's a workaholic. He's going to work till 2 a.m. a lot of nights, and he will write as many as four columns a day. And keep in mind, he doesn't have a computer to, to do this on. You know, it's a very different type of technology that none of us are accustomed to. Um, and he writes about European diplomacy, dissolution of liberty, secretary of the treasury, defects in the jury system, like a whole range of topics that he is able to write, write on. So Greeley leaves the paper in 1872 to run for president and Reed inherits his role as leading it. And though he has no formal title, Hay is second in command at this point. He's very well respected by his by many in his role as a journalist, and one of his colleagues said of him, it was the liberal education in the delights of intellectual life to sit in intimate com companionship with John Hay and watch the play of that well-stored and brilliant mind. So Hay is quite the person to sit with and talk to, apparently, as well. I always saw Nicolay as being the quieter of the two, and Nicolay is definitely the chatterbox definitely the one that would sit tell stories probably a lot like lincoln did i think um yeah he was yeah yeah and then um zeitz in his book um lincoln's boys about nicolay and hay writes a funny story where hay and reed were one night spotted playing a game of leapfrog over the ash cans outside the century club after shutting down its bar so clearly his days in gettysburg of drinking whiskey and getting drunk have uh he's not given up on that yet but keep in mind, he's still a young man at this point. So, um, Hay is also a poet, an essayist, short story writer, and his writings often appeared in The Atlantic, Harper's Weekly, and Harper's Monthly. Um, and then in 1874, Hay marries Clara Stone, who is the daughter of Amasa Stone. He's a Cleveland railway millionaire. And um, Zeit states that Hay was a favorite of the ladies. But upon meeting Clara, he said, Hay said to one of his friends, mourn for me. La femme has ceased to exist for me. There is only one and one is enough. I part from the old life without regret, save for the dear old reprobates whom I shall hereafter love in secret and remorselessly cut in public. Believe me, I am not the thing I was. That's an interesting explanation. It's basically saying like, yeah, I was a playa. Yeah. Hey, the playa. Hey. Hey, the player. Mm -hmm. um, so they end up living in Cleveland on Euclid's Ave's Millionaire Road, which um, I don't think Euclid Ave is a great place to go anymore in Cleveland. Um, they have four children, Helen, Eldebert, Alice, and Clarence. Eldebert will unfortunately die in 1901 after falling from a New Haven hotel window, which I don't know what the story was behind that. Do you guys have anything to add on this stuff? Um, no, I mean, and then a little bit once we get into the diplomacy here. 
Um, so in from 1879 to 1881, he is Assistant Secretary of State. Um, so he takes the position from Frederick Seward, who had held that position under Lincoln as well. And he resigned in 1879. And in this role, Hay will have a staff of 80 employees plus hundreds of diplomats, diplomatic and consular appointees serving in foreign posts. Um, and if William Everts, the Secretary of State, happened to be absent, Hay would take his place at the cabinet meetings. And this is the first time that Hay had to do this. Um, he remarked that he felt very odd and modest sitting there among the gray-haired elders of the land. It was quite a change from when he was Lincoln's secretary and he stayed silent through countless meetings. If you remember the Lincoln movie, um, and they did the cinematography so well on this, that one cabinet meeting, you can see Hay standing off in the background. So picture Hay standing off in the background and then all of a sudden he is at the table. Like that's got to be quite the move. The thought that he would have had going through mm. his head as that happened. Um, and now he's sitting at this table speaking on matters of international importance. And he'll be in this role until 1881 when he will resign. And he spends seven months as the acting editor of the New York Tribune while Reed is in Europe. So he ends up being a major backer for President McKinley when he um, becomes president. Um, and he will be Secretary of State starting in 1898. So before we go into this, do you two have anything to add? No, I mean, I think that... Um... You know, I think he really came into his own, you know, in that secretary of state role and whether or not he was relying a little bit on the name he had earned for himself um, under Lincoln. Um, you know, he, he begins to emerge as, as a pretty, pretty talented diplomat um, and, and very much important in the in the history of the State Department. Mm hmm. So Hay will serve as Secretary of State for seven years under McKinley as well as Roosevelt after McKinley is unfortunately assassinated. And after McKinley is assassinated, he will say of him, he was awfully like Lincoln in many respects. And that's the one thing I've heard about McKinley. He's kind of this underrated president that we don't know much about, just like Garfield. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that quote may have been a little overstated. Perhaps it was offered up in that, um, you know, period after the assassination yeah. when there's probably like a, a, a groundswell of patriotism and reverence for your fallen leader. Um, you know, nothing against McKinley, but, you know, um, I'd struggle to put him up there with Lincoln, you know, but, um, you know, important for sure. Um, a martyr, obviously, in, in mm -hmm. a way, as being assassinated. Um, I think Hayes' role as Secretary of State, I mean, you, you look at the history of the Secretary of State, and there seems to be names that emerge as, you know, really important figures as far as the diplomatic, you know, role of the United States in the world. And then there are dozens of Secretaries of State that are of very little consequence. Uh, but I think Hay is definitely in that top tier of Secretaries of State who played a huge role in the United States emerging as, you know, I hate the term superpower, but, you know, basically the, you know, the United States emerging to the, to the global presence that it has now. Um, you know, of course, Thomas Jefferson's going to be the most famous and, you know, the first one, first secretary of state, most mm -hmm. people are going to look to as far as defining the role. And there were other important ones. Seward, of course, can't, you know, 
Um, Seward's role as Secretary of State, very important as far as foreign aid for the war, making sure that no one recognized the Confederacy and took their side. Um, that would have been of consequence to the outcome of the war. But his role and legacy is largely as an advisor, confidant, you know, that cabinet meeting um, of, of President Lincoln. And, and, and as his rival um, pushed, pushed Lincoln to be better. Um, and then, of course, the Alaska Purchase that, that was a part of his role as Secretary of State. Um, and, but then you look at Hay, and, you know, I think much of, you know, his emergence as a very important Secretary of State is probably based a little bit on timing, mm-hmm. where, you know, the turn of the century when he was Secretary of State was very much one of the points in history where the, the world shrank. You know, like when the Internet came out, as a, you know, kind of uniting everybody globally, the world got a lot smaller, clearly figuratively speaking. But I think in the early 20th century, it did as well with steamships and the ability to communicate via telegraph and um, through other means, you know, much more quickly. And that was a point where the world got small. And, and hey, as Secretary of State is dealing with China, you know, in mm-hmm. the Boxer Rebellion, and he's dealing with Japan. And these are countries that, of course, you know, were important and had a lot of people, but they really had no relationship whatsoever with the United States just because the distance alone was just prohibitive to have any sort of relationship of any meaning. Um, so, so you see the United States emerging as an influence globally, and, and, and Hay is in the front row as a Secretary of State. Um, so his... Um, time in that role, I think, is very important to the diplomatic history of the United States. Um, and, and of course, he did, you know, if you wanted to list his accomplishments, you know, of course, he, you know, worked on the Boxer Rebellion. He paved the way for the Panama Canal, yeah. which was, um, I think, an often overlooked um, and pretty fascinating piece of history as to how that happened, because you have a convergence of political history, world history, um, and engineering history um, for a pretty incredible story. Um, But Hay was instrumental in the Panama Canal um, and kind of redefined that role of Secretary of State to be that diplomat that I think it was always intended for, um, but, you know, just in in different ways. Um, Him working on the open door policy, I think, was hugely important. And I think that that was one one element of his role as Secretary of State that kind of echoed, you know, um, Monroe's, you know, the Monroe Doctrine and, you know, the early days of, of diplomacy for sure. Um, but it, the the fact that he was Secretary of State for all of McKinley's presidency and then stayed on into Roosevelt's presidency um, through, through Roosevelt's election is important because that's not common. You know, the cabinet positions changed then at a similar rate to the way they do now. Um, and really, I think it's you know worth noting as well that he easily could have been the president of the United States. He could because, have. <laughs> because, before, because at the time, this was now the, the, the lines of succession are like very defined. Then they weren't, and Secretary of State was actually third in line for the presidency. And um, the president for McKinley in his first term died. 
So there was no vice president for a time. Then when McKinley was elected to his second term, he chose Theodore Roosevelt. Um, and then McKinley was, of course, assassinated, which led to Roosevelt's um, ascendancy to the presidency. But had McKinley been assassinated about five or six months before he actually was, John Hay would have been the president of the United States. I was reading that and I was like, whoa, that's, you know, and Hay, I think, would have made a really good president. Like he, I think he had it in him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, personality-wise, he, he was no Theodore Roosevelt, although he was no. you know, potentially close. However, you know, the the point in time in history, from a, certainly from an international perspective, you know, obviously Theodore Roosevelt rose to mythic proportions in the history of the United States. Had had that been John, hey, who knows? Maybe maybe he becomes this very yeah. influential and important president. I don't know if he would have been the trust buster that Roosevelt, you know, um, would was and tried to be, or you know, if he would have quite embodied the presidency and with quite the same amount of vigor that that TR did. But but nonetheless, he would have been certainly a memorable president and a very important turning point in in United States history. Well, I think given the influence that Lincoln had had on him, he probably would have taken a lot of Lincoln into that role with him. Yeah, I mean, how could you not? And I'm sure that's what he he took with him into all of the negotiations he was Mm -hmm. involved in um, and everything else. So, um, and you know, and I do think one very important parallel, an unfortunate parallel to Lincoln, is the toll that losing his son had on him. Yes. Um, you know, he died at 66 years old and he died at, he was the secretary of state. He was just starting, um, in, in, um, Roosevelt's, you know, as Roosevelt's appointee. Um, and he, and he died at, at a fairly young age. And, and a lot of people were kind of saying that, that losing his son had taken so much out of him, um, that it may have led to him dying a little bit earlier than he probably would have otherwise. Yeah, 1901 was a really hard year for for Hay because not only did McKinley die, but so did his his son Eldiver, as well as John Nicolay. Like he lost three very important people in his life. But not only that, you know, um, Hay was connected to three presidential assassinations, and he he wrote to his friend, "What a strange and tragic fate." It has been of mine to stand by the bier of three of my dearest friends, Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinley, three of the gentlest men, all risen to be the head of state and done to death by assassins. He was good friends with Garfield, and he covered Garfield's struggle after Garfield had been shot. As yeah, a yeah, reporter, that's... he struggled it. Or he covered it. He ha- And he mm-hmm. was friends with Garfield. like he, mm-hmm. And he had to struggle with that. You know, so I was not surprised when I was doing the research to learn that, you know, four years after 1901, you know, 1905, he, he passes away. Mm-hmm. Dude, his lifespan, like you think about everything that happened. First of all, oh. three assassinations within 30 something, about within 40 years. You talk about the uh, technology, the expansion of technology in that time. Um, like he's on the forefront of American expansionism. Mm-hmm. Um, inland as well as uh, American Empire building. Um, I mean, this is crazy how much the country changed within his lifetime um, and everything he witnessed and the key roles that he played in a lot of that, too. So rather remarkable. Yeah. Yep. Um, a couple other fun facts that are um, mildly remarkable. 
Uh, the first, Nick, you know, for those, you know, we can see him, he's wearing a hat for the Redbirds. Um, John Hay went to, for his bachelor's degree, to a little school in Normal, Illinois, called Illinois State University, with other distinguished grads, such as my spouse and our very own rail splitter, Nick. Nice. Right. Ivy League of the Midwest. Awesome. I always it's the Ivy, Ivy League of, of Bloomington Normal, Illinois. <laughs> uh, he was born uh, on October 8th, which was the same day, not the literally same day, different year that I was born on. Oh, wow. Uh, and he, and, yeah, yeah. I share a birthday with John Hay. Uh, and he died on July 1st, which is my wedding anniversary. So, Also Canada Day. Uh, also Canada and Canada yeah. Day. Yeah, like, yeah, so uh, he died on Canada Day. Day one at Gettysburg. On, yes, day one at Gettysburg and my negative 101st anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> so if that wins you a couple of trivia contests you owe us a drink yeah 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 so anyway a very very remarkable life of john hay um uh, and, and very important figures uh mm-hmm. nicolay and hay oh and yes. i think we are going to be doing an episode just um about the biography that they wrote about lincoln because there's no way we could have fit it into these two episodes about Nicolay and Hay, like they're the what the, what they did with writing that biography, the work they put into it, definitely warrants an episode onto itself because yep. that was an amazing volume of work, lifetime of work. Yep. Well, great job, Mary, with the notes. <laughs> um, so we appreciate that. We're going to transition to our weekly features of the people by the people. Uh, boys, did you have another one? Or are you going to roll again with? I'm uh, just going to roll with that one. The, the, the Civil War fangirl Twitter uh, account that announced the debut of the Breakfast Club, Civil War Breakfast Club. Thank you. <laughs> so once again, make sure to check that out. Mary, what you got? Um, I actually just want to give a shout out to the Battle of Gettysburg podcast. Um, I've been listening to it a lot lately. It is an excellent podcast, deep dive on the Battle of Gettysburg, but Jim Hessler and Eric Limblade, who host it, it is really, really good. Um, My favorite episodes are about the 11th Corps because um, my favorite general commands the 11th Corps at Gettysburg. Howard. 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 Team OO. Did you move on from, are you cheating on Sherman? I told you that a few weeks ago. I can't remember. It was so long ago. Yeah, no. Howard's I, I my Howard's my favorite general. Dude. Yes, Howard you is do not. You do not know how to pick him. No, I do actually. He's really awesome. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's not all about Chancellorsville, <laughs> as Twitter seems to think it is. It is. <laughs> it's not. He did awesome things out in the West, and he was the right wing commander on the march to the sea. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, definitely check out Battle of Gettysburg podcast. Uh, Jim and Eric are doing awesome things for for that battle. Um, definitely deep dives, but they are entertaining episodes. I listened to um, there's a two part um, two parts on. It's called Dan Dan Sickles gets away with murder, and it talks Liter- about literally. Yeah, yeah, it talks about um, with Barton Key and all that. It is really really good. But yeah, definitely. Check those guys out. Mine comes from the Facebook group. Uh, make sure you join it if you haven't. 
and it's by Eric. And there's an event coming up October 13th, a virtual event, because that's the world we live in. Yep. Harold Holzer will be talking to Rail Splitter's favorite, uh, Christian McWhorter, um, from the Library and Museum. It is going to start at 7. It includes kind of like... Um, I think they have like a, a Q&A. He's going to talk about his new book, The President versus the Press, The Endless Battle Between the White House and the Media. So um, as we know in the Lincoln world, um, he's kind of a big uh, figure. So check that out. The great opportunity. I know Christian will do a great job. Um, he's a perfect person to host something like that, especially in a virtual setting, as well as in person. I'm sure he would rock it as mm-hmm. well. But. We're not quite there yet, so look into that, um, and yeah, that might be a thing of interest. I have a This Week in Lincoln. All right, let's rock and roll with it. Okay, well, I'm. it's upstairs. Anyway, I'll have to tweet a picture of it out. Um, so when I got to work last week on August 11th, I took August 10th off because it was my birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, happy belated birthday. Thanks. Happy Yay. belated birthday. Yay, 38. Um <laughs> So I got to my desk and there was a pencil sitting there and it said Abraham Lincoln's boyhood home. And I'm like, who the hell? And he set the pencil there. Anyway, it was my, my colleague, Ellen. She had got this pencil at the Lincoln boyhood home 20 years prior. And she'd found it when she was, I think, cleaning up some stuff. Wow. And she was like, Mary needs to have this. So it was sitting on my desk and she's like, that's your birthday gift. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, I have a pencil from the Lincoln Boyhood Home, which I've never visited before in Knob Creek. But thanks to my colleague, Ellen, I now have one. All right, Ellen. Yeah. Well done. All right. So it's good to be back. Um, The plan is to continue to pump these out week after week for the current time. So we are back up and running. Remember this Saturday or whenever you're listening to this, jump on podcast. Check out uh, Mary's new podcast, uh, The Civil War Breakfast Club. And we'll be looking forward to next week's episode. So remember uh, to continue to live with mouths toward none, with charity for all. Peace.